All right, if you would, grab a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 3. We'll have it up on the screen as well. Uh, There might be a Bible underneath your chair. Um, Maybe your neighbor can grab, uh, neighbor to your right or left can grab a Bible and hand it to you. Uh, Romans chapter 3, we'll also have it up on the screens. Um, We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, 19 to 26. Perhaps more than ever, culturally, We are constantly focused on getting better. You know this. I know this. We live in the midst of a 24-7, truly 24-7 onslaught of messaging that we are not healthy enough, we're not wealthy enough, we're not good-looking enough, we're not disciplined enough, our eggs are not free-range enough, (laughs) right? It's 24-7. We live amidst a, not just a list of laws, but an ever-growing list of laws. You need to exercise more. You need a cold plunge in the morning. You need to grow your own food. You need to work harder. No, you need to work smarter. No, you need to work harder and smarter. You know, I think we're supposed to be eating raw liver from what I've seen recently. We live in this 24-7. And, um, and in case we miss the seriousness of what I'm talking about... Um, listen to some of this. From, I believe, 2010 to 2014, teens um, diagnosed with depression has risen 37%. The rate of self-harm, particularly for teen girls, has risen 62% since 2009. And, and self-harm among preteen girls has risen 189% since 2010. Anorexia cutting suicide have spiked dramatically since the arrival of, do you know what? The smartphone. Um, we, we live uh, amidst unprecedented rise in these kind of realities and things. And perhaps the hardest part of all of it, of living amidst a 24-7 onslaught of you're not enough, do better, perhaps the hardest part is that we know a lot of it's true, you know? We know a lot of it can be true, that we don't live up to whatever that law or standard is. For instance, anyone content with their own parenting? Anyone content with your health? Anyone content with your success in business or whatever you do? Anyone content with their discipline around a box of cookies? (laughs) Yesterday morning, I told myself, I said, I've been crushing the desserts since Wednesday night. And I said, I'm not going to do sugar. to, last night, you know, and then we made the greatest cookie you can bake, and four or five later, you know, it was like, okay, I got to do better. Uh, anybody content with their sleep habit, habits or their phone time or their time management? I mean, the reality is the onslaught of messaging that you should get better wouldn't hurt so bad if we just didn't think it was true. A lot of times it's just true. Yeah, I'm not healthy enough. I don't exercise enough. You know, I don't meet some of this, this, uh, these standards. And, and as Christians, those are just the cultural laws that we face. You know, As Christians, we have God's own laws, our supreme standard. We know that we are to glorify and enjoy God, but anyone content with their walk with the Lord? Anyone content in just crushing it with their time in the Bible, their time in prayer? Anyone say, I am loving other people darn near perfectly. <laughs> Anyone feel that way? I love God really well. Anyone content with their amount of joy in the Lord? 
their patience with their six-year-old twins, boys, anyone content with that kind of stuff, their kindness towards other people, their love for their enemies, anybody content with all of those biblical standards? The reality is we need to get better. We want to get better in so many ways, but we are crushed by a sense of condemnation and shame at every turn all too often, whether it's cultural laws or the laws of the Bible. And then the New Year's rolls around and talk of goals and resolutions and all new laws pop up, but we know how that goes, right? The data shows maybe 40 to 50% of Americans set some kind of resolution or goal and 91% report failing. I mean, we just know, like we know, it's like New Year's, why even try? You know, uh, why even try? The New Year's reminds us that we're not only failures, but we're failures at stopping being failures. And we just can't, no resolution, no goal, it just doesn't work. So what do we do? Well, unfortunately, the culture doesn't help. I wanted to see what are people saying about resolutions this year? Because I had a hunch that things are shifting. Now that like 24-7 we're faced with resolutions that we fail, I was like, I wonder if we're still doing that. So I clicked on just the two top articles that popped up. The first one said, don't set goals anymore. It said, set resolutions. And it assured me that it wasn't splitting hairs. <laughs> okay? Don't set goals, set resolutions. So don't resolve to lose weight, because that's negative. It said, make a resolution to like kick the soccer ball for 20 minutes a day. The second article basically said the same thing. It said, don't set goals, set new habits. And this is, guys... If this gets you published, what I'm about to say, I should be rich with books and stuff. Uh, said, don't set goals, set new habits. So don't set a goal to lose weight. Make a new habit to exercise daily. I didn't realize that was all you had to do. <laughs> don't set a goal to be, you know, shredded. Just work super hard to get shredded. Do you see the difference? <laughs> right? Here's what the article showed me that I clicked on and I read. It showed me that we know we want to get better, but we don't know how to pursue it without wading into the waters of standards and laws and then feeling condemnation. Make sense? We know we want to get healthier, but don't set a goal to get healthier because now you're in the realm of the law and you know you're going to fail and feel condemned. So get healthier, but trick yourself like, you're not getting healthier. You're just exercising every day, right? We know we want to get better. We just don't know how to pursue it. We don't know how to think about it as a culture anymore. So what do we do as Christians? Here's the question before us. How do we think about our Christian lives in 2023, lives meant to glorify and enjoy God without living under the crushing weight of condemnation that can come when we fail to glorify and enjoy God? It's just, that's the question before us. How do we think about our Christian lives in this coming year, lives meant to glorify and enjoy God without living under the crushing weight of condemnation and shame that can come when we inevitably fail at that? How do we do that? Romans 3, 19 to 26 shows us the answer. If you would stand with me and let's read this text together. Romans 3, verse 19 I think we're actually stopping a little short of 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, think Old Testament there, bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. All right, so if you scan at the text and you start in verse 19, what we read is that the law speaks. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks. The law speaks, and you've heard it. Even this morning, if you're not a Christian, you've never read the Bible, you've heard the law because the Bible says God wrote it on your heart. You have this thing called a conscience. That's God's law ingrained, written in the very fabric of your own heart. So you've heard the law speak, and if you've read the Bible, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. Be kind to one another as God in Christ has been kind to us. You read the Ten Commandments, you've read the law, you've heard the law, it speaks, and you're not the one who speaks it, okay? This text says that it's first spoken by God. God is the one who gave us his own law. It is God who speaks it, it's God who continues to speak it to you, okay? Especially as you read the word, he speaks his law to you, he speaks it to you, and it's about you. The law is about your character, It's about who you are. God's law in the word, in the Bible, is about how you should live. It's about you and your works and your own righteousness, okay? And the law has a design and a purpose. If you look in the text, it says that it speaks that what? That every mouth may be stopped. That every mouth may be stopped. What are our mouths busy doing? They are busy justifying themselves, The the imagery here, the picture of this text is that we are in the court of law and we are making a case that we didn't do it, you know? It wasn't us with the lamp in the library, you know? We didn't do it. We're not guilty. And we're we're running long on the story of, of where we were at the time of the murder and it wasn't us and we're not guilty, okay? We're busy justifying ourselves. And then all of a sudden, the law comes in. And the picture here is the DNA results come in. The, uh, the fingerprint analysis comes in. Your DNA, your fingerprints. And then, then all of a sudden the prosecuting attorney comes in and says, and by the way, we have hidden camera footage of you doing it. And what do you do in that moment? You go silent. Yeah, that, that's me. I did do it. You go silent. The, the picture here, you could use this uh, picture as well to kind of bring it home to us in New Year's. Someone who has resolved not to work out a single time in 2022 come to the end of the year and they are just convinced and they are convincing you how healthy they are. You know, I didn't work out a single time, but I am healthy. Then the law comes in, a mirror comes in. And you look in the mirror and you go, oh, it's undeniable now, I'm guilty right? That's what the law does. It comes in and it makes us silent. It holds us accountable. We are accountable. When faced with God's law, if we are still trying to justify ourselves, if we're still trying to explain how we are acceptable to God and ourselves, we haven't listened fully. We haven't listened thoroughly. You know you've heard God's law in some form or fashion when you go silent, When you know that before God's law, before the Ten Commandments, you are held accountable before God. You have no case to make. 
that you are innocent and acceptable in yourself. God speaks his law so that as the text says, the whole world, the whole world, every last one of us would be held accountable to him. What you can see there is that the end goal of the law is opposite of what we assume. We assume for whatever reason that the law is gonna bring us knowledge of our holiness. That we're gonna step in front of the mirror of the law and go, you, my friend, are good looking. And the law does the opposite. It does the opposite and here's why. Look at verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We think we're gonna look into the mirror of the law and be pleased, but when we really look into the mirror of the law, when we really hear the law, the opposite occurs. We go silent with a clear, undeniable knowledge of what? Our sin and our guilt. That's why when you read the 10 commandments or you even hear the verse, be kind to one another, you might feel a little pricked, a little convicted. Mm. I was not kind to my spouse this morning. I was not kind to my kids as I was getting them ready for church. I wasn't that. mm. The law convicts us. It cuts us in that way. It gives us a knowledge of our sin always. So how do we think about our Christian lives, lives meant to glorify and enjoy God, but not live under the crushing weight of condemnation? First, first, here's the first step, listen to the law. Listen to the law of God. Don't water it down. Don't twist it. You know, don't say, well, the Ten Commandments were harsh, but when Jesus came, he made it so much more simple. You know, he just said, love your neighbor. Did he really make it simple? Because he said, You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't even lust silently and privately, because that's adultery of the heart. Jesus upheld and taught the law to its fullest extent, so don't twist it, don't water it down, let it speak to you and show you reality, just let it be a mirror. Just let it be a mirror. Now, I know what you're thinking right now, you're thinking, You said, Colin, how do we live without the crushing weight of condemnation? But you said, listen to the law, which seems like it's going to bring that out. That it's going to make me feel that way. It's going to make me feel guilty. It's going to make me feel condemned. Here's the thing. If all the law, if if all we had in the Bible was God's law, you are right. It wouldn't be helpful to listen to the law concerning a sense of condemnation or shame. If the Bible was only basic instructions before leaving earth, if all we had in Christianity was what would Jesus do, if all we had in the Bible was the Ten Commandments, then yes, crushing condemnation would be all there is. But the Bible speaks a second word. The Bible contains a word of law, and the Bible has a second word, a second message for you and me. And the law is actually designed to drive you to it. The first word of God's law is actually designed and purposed to send you and drive you to the second word. Here's where it drives you. Look at verse 21. After Paul lays down the law in Romans chapter 1 and 2 and into 3, verse 21, he says, but, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, saying the whole Old Testament, although the Bible bears witness to it. 
Y'all don't miss this. This is stunning. Paul just said here that there is a righteousness you can have. There is an acceptability before God, a justification before God himself. Not just your friends, not just a justification and an acceptability with your friends or your spouse or your kids or something like that. Before God himself. Paul says there's a righteousness, an acceptability, a justification that you don't get through working, that you don't get through actually being it in yourself. That's what he just said. He said it's apart from the law. It's apart from you and your performance and you working and you obeying and you doing. It's separate from that. It's apart from that. And the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets has been talking about it. It's been bearing witness to it. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says one of the, the greatest things about the Old Testament I've ever heard. He says the Old Testament is a masterpiece in indirection. You read the Old Testament and you think this is just a bunch of Ten Commandments. He says it's a masterpiece in indirection. It's actually pointing you to a righteousness that's outside of you, that you don't work for and you don't perform for. What righteousness is this? Look at verse 22. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Listen, God doesn't want your righteousness. God doesn't want your righteousness. He wants you to have his very own righteousness. It's the righteousness of God for you. He doesn't want you to try to earn it either. He doesn't want you, okay, I want the righteousness of God. What can I do to get it? He wants you to have it for free, an unearned gift. In other words, faith. You just receive it as a free, unearned gift. Feels wild. Feels like you don't deserve it, and that's the point. A free gift from God for you. Who paid for this? Who accomplished this? If you didn't accomplish it, if you didn't work for it, who did it? It's right there. It's in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Why did Jesus come? Why was he born? Why did he live? Why did he rise? Why did he uh, die and rise and ascend? Was it just to set before us WWJD? Was it just to go, here's a better example? Moses kind of set a good example. King David, not so much, but I'll set a great example. And then we'll write about it in a book. And then you can just read that in the morning and follow it. Is that why he came? No, Paul here says, Romans, God here says, Jesus came that you would be able to stand before God and be totally, fully, finally accepted forever. It has nothing to do with you. Your character, your works. It's, it's so that you can stand before God and be considered as someone who has measured up perfectly. You pass the test. You meet the test. Justified. Innocent. Righteous before God. So how do we think about our Christian lives in 2023 without living under a crushing sense of condemnation as we fail our way into glorifying and enjoying God? First, listen to the law, and second, listen to the gospel. First, listen to the law, and then second, listen to the word that the law drives you to, which is the, the better word of the gospel. It is the good news. The law finds you to be in need of a savior and the gospel gives you the savior. The law says you need a redeemer, a deliverer. And the gospel says, here's your redeemer. Here's your deliverer. Here's your salvation. Listen to the law 
and then listen to the gospel over and over and over and over again this year. And over and over and over again this year. Now, here you might be wondering, how does this all work together? It seems on the one hand, the law might make me feel, or it's going to reveal my sin, that I'm guilty of being a sinner. It's going to say that I deserve condemnation. And on the other hand, the gospel is going to comfort me and provide my full, total, final salvation. How does this work together without me going insane? How do I read the Bible without going nuts? Do I go back and forth between the law? Do I read the law on Monday and the gospel on Tuesday? And then do I listen to the law on Wednesday and Thursday and then the gospel on Friday? How does this all work together? Paul's summary in verse 24 shows us. Look at the end of verse 24. He says, for there's no distinction between people, he's saying. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified... If someone's going to be justified, they're going to be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Let's break this down because it's the key to your sanity in the coming years. How does Paul know that all have sinned and fall short? The law. That's how he knows. He knows that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God because the law shows that to us. But notice this, this is key. That's where the law stops. That's where the law stops. It shows us our knowledge of sin and it leaves you knowing that you fall short, but it cannot help you at that point. The law doesn't say, okay, you've fallen short, but I'm gonna lower my standards for you. The law doesn't say you've fallen short, but there's a back road you can take to get back into God's good graces. And I'm going to show you what that is. The law just says you have fallen short, and then it can't help you beyond that. It cannot save you. It cannot redeem you. It cannot deliver you. It cannot empower you to even do it. That's why when you come to a stop sign, that stop sign never gives you a sense in your heart of like, oh, I want to obey the law. It just tells you to stop. And then your heart just goes, I don't want to, but okay. You know, I don't want to get a ticket or what? I don't want to hurt someone. But the stop sign doesn't empower you to want to obey it. It just tells you this is the law. That's what God's law does to it stops there. This means when you are burdened with a sense of condemnation before God, when you are burdened Asking questions about your acceptability before God. Does he really love me? Does he really accept me? I have so much sin in my life. You must, in the words of Martin Luther, abandon the law. This is what I mean. Listen to Luther here. When the conscience is disturbed, when you're, when you're worried, does God fully accept me? I, I fail. I have fallen so short. He says, do not seek advice from the law. Don't go to the law and the Ten Commandments to see if you're acceptable before God. He says, but rest your conscience in the grace of God and in his word and proceed as if you had never heard of the law. If it is a question of faith or conscience, ignore the law entirely. Do you see what he's saying there? We cannot miss this. He is saying when you come before God and you go, God, do you accept me? Because I have broken so many of your commandments. Do you accept me? Luther says, act like the Ten Commandments don't even exist in that moment. The law's already done its work. 
It's already brought you to a sense of your sin. Act like it's not even there anymore. It's not even real. He says, abandon it. Well, where do I go? The grace of God. The mercy of God. The gospel. Do I go to the gospel and my ability to follow Jesus' example? No, no, no. No, no, no. Act like the law doesn't even exist. Because when it's a question of your acceptability before God, none of that matters. It can't help you. Only Jesus can help you. Only Jesus forgives and delivers. So abandon it for the gospel. The only word that matters in those matters, the matters of your justification and your acceptability before God, the only word that matters is the gospel. The law will convict you and then stop there. And then we run to the gospel. And so that's what Paul does. Notice that in verse 24, he moves on. He completely moves on. He says, there's no distinction. All have fallen short, and then verse 24, and are justified by his grace. He just moves on from the law, like it doesn't exist. You've fallen short, and we're justified by grace. He moves from the law to the gospel, and he doesn't mix them. He doesn't mix them. Let's end here. How do we think about our Christian lives in the coming year? First, listen to the law. Want to know how to love your neighbor well? You want to know how to enjoy God? You want to know how to glorify God? The law will tell you all about that. Would it be loving to steal my neighbor's car? We need a car. Would that be loving to do? The law says, don't steal. Okay, good to know. That's how to love my neighbor. If you have questions about how to live well and glorify God and love your neighbor, the law will tell you. So listen to the law. And as you listen to it, and as it shows you all the ways you fall short, second, second, listen to the gospel. Listen to the law. And as the law reveals your sin again and again and again, listen to the gospel again and again and again. And here's my last point. Listen in that order. Listen in that order. Let the law again and again and again drive you to the utterly distinct word of the gospel because it is the gospel that gets the last word. It's the grace of God in Jesus Christ for you who was put forward as a propitiation, a sacrifice for your sin, who gets the last word, not the law. So feel convicted for your sin. You feel convicted for your sin this morning? Good. Rest in Jesus who was convicted and crucified for sinners. Now you can live to glorify and enjoy God as one who's already alive. Feel ashamed of yourself? Rest in Jesus, who was shamefully crucified for shameful sinners. And when you rest in Jesus, you can live to glorify and enjoy God with head held high. Not because you're a good person, but because Jesus is good for you. Feel unrighteous before God. Rest in Jesus, the very righteousness of God for you. Now, now righteous already, you can live to glorify and enjoy God, not trying to earn righteousness. You already have it. Feel rejected by God. Rest in Jesus, the very acceptance of God for you. Feel condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray and then let's sing. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have done the work for us. That in matters of our acceptance before you, your love for us, in matters of eternal life, in matters of forgiveness, 
in these things with you and before you, it is all based entirely and alone on you and your work, your sending of Jesus and his work on our behalf. God, help us be a people who listen to your law and who again and again and again run to the gospel, run to your grace, run to your mercy. And God, let this be a year perhaps where we are surprised by the power of the gospel to change us. That we, where we feel stuck, where we feel like we are going backwards, God, I pray that we could look up in the coming months, years, and go, wow, I think the gospel has changed me. God, we know that that's true. We know that you're working the fruit of the Spirit in us, regardless if we can see it. And so again, we turn to you and we turn to your work to rest and rely on Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.